your Bibles. We are in Judges chapter 8, verses 1 to 23. We are continuing our mini-series in the book of Judges, but really we're looking at the life of Gideon, one of the most incredible characters in the entire Bible. Fascinating man of God. So many life lessons, so many spiritual truths that we want to glean from his life and from his experiences. That's why I love doing series on Bible characters, because we can learn from their lives, from their experiences, what they went through. And so let's begin this morning in verse number one. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, this is Gideon, why hast thou served us thus, that thou calls us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites and they did hide or chide with him sharply and he said unto them what have I done now in comparison to you or of you is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebezer God hath delivered unto your hands the princes of Midian, of Oreb, and Zeb. And what have I been able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated towards him when he had said that. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him they were exhausted, faint, yet, notice, please underscore, this is one of my main focuses this morning. They were exhausted, yet. They were exhausted, yet. They pursued them. Did you see that? Oh, we're, we're going to get deeper a little bit later. Verse 5, and he said unto the men of Sukkoth, give, I pray you, loaves of bread to the people that follow me, for they're hungry, they're tired, they're exhausted from pursuing the enemy. And the princes of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord, notice when, not if, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmuna unto my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. In other words, you're going to get a whooping. Like we say in the Vanai, you're going to get a good whooping there, I can assure you. Verse 41, and he went up thence to Penuel and spake unto the likewise, to the men there of Penuel, and they answered him as the men of Sukkoth did. And he spake unto the men of Penuel, saying, when I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. And now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, and all that were left of the hosts of the children of the east. For there fell 120,000 men drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in the tents of the east of Noba and Jogbeha and smote the host for the host was secure. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued, notice what he did. He pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and discomfited them, all the host 
And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up and caught a young man of the men of Sukkot and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Sukkot and the elders thereof, threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Sukkot and said, Behold, Zeba and Zulmuna, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying are the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna now in thine hand, that we should give you bread unto thy men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city in thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught them a lesson. They went into God's classroom, and God taught them a lesson, in other words. And he beat down the towers of Penuel and slew the men of the city. And then he said unto Zeb and Zalmuna, What manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabor? And they answered, As thou art. So we, they, each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, They were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would have not slain thee. And he said unto Jethar, his firstborn, Up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword. For he feared them because he was yet a, a youth. And then Zeba and Zalmuna said, Rise thou and fall upon us. For as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon rose up and slew Zeba and Zalmuna and took away their ornaments. And they were on their camel's necks. Then, now watch this. Very important and very significant to this message. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule over us both thou and thy son and thy son's sons also for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian and Gideon responded and said I will not rule over you neither shall my son rule over you for the Lord shall rule over you he's got no rivals no rivals. God's got no rivals. We have a very interesting and very significant and important message this morning as we continue our series, our mini-series in the life of Gideon. I've entitled this message originally, Shameless Persistence. And my wife made a mistake as she, and she said, and she wrote down, Shameless pursuit instead of persistence but you know what it may have made a mistake but I think it's exactly what what this is all about shameless pursuit what does that mean well let's begin by way of introduction let me ask you how many people have said at one point or another in their lives you know what I would have been able to do that if or I was doing just so well, so fantastically well, tremendous, everything. But I, I, I ended up hitting this brick wall. Just something just happened. Like I was doing just fine until, and you can fill in the blank, until, until I hit, until, until something, until. Well, friends, how many times have you heard, and how many times have you heard me say, it's not how well you start. 
but it's about having shameless pursuit. It's about how you finish. We are great starters, most of us, but we're horrible finishers. Gets a little tough, a little discouraging, and we throw in the towel, many of us. That's not what Gideon did. I want to focus on this this morning. You know, uh, my daughter, God bless her, she, when she got married a few years ago, she wanted my wife and I, uh, we're very close also with Pascal, her husband, to, to join her, at her in her honeymoon. And so they spent a few days at their honeymoon, and then we joined them in Dominican. And uh, something amazing happened there. But, but uh, when my daughter uh, was growing up, she loved sports, and uh, she played all sports. And uh, she was also on the track team in school, in, in her high school in Marcellinus. And she ran the 1500 meter. And I love that race. I like the longer races, uh, the marathons and all that. But she, she liked the, the, the 1500. And um, so I, I would try to coach her a little bit on how to run this race. Because longer races... The, the athlete, the runner, needs to use different types of muscles. If you're in a sprint, most sprinters have strong thighs, they got a strong muscular upper torso, and they, they, they run with power, and they got to have strong legs to propel them for speed. But long-distance runners are the opposite. They need less of that kind of muscle, they need to have a smaller frame, and they need to be very lean in order to maintain that length and that time of running. It, 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 you can't have excess on your body. But you have to learn how to pace yourself. Very important. In other words, if you're going to do a longer distance run, if you run quickly right in the beginning, chances are you'll fade away near the end. So it's, you might be a great starter, but if you're not careful, you won't finish well because you exerted too much energy in the beginning and you won't have enough to finish the race. Are y'all with me so far? So there we are in Dominic, and Katrina run, won quite a few races with that principle of, I would train, make sure you pace yourself, Katrina. You start running, don't get ahead right away. Don't, don't lead the pack right away. Get in the middle of the pack, I always tell her. And then as you see the lap coming and you see the finish line more or less approaching, then you take a call a runner's kick and you run all you can to cross the finish line. And she would listen and many times she would win races by doing that. And so here we are in Dominican and I love running on the beach and we do that together, my daughter and I. And so... We decided to run. And there's Pascal, her husband, sitting back on the beach with my wife, having a drink. You know, uh, they're drinking their Coca-Cola, whatever it is. And they're watching Katrina and me running on this hot, hot, muggy day. We were going to run a certain length ten times. One, two, three, four, ten times. So it's quite, quite, a, quite a distance, actually. And we took off. And there I was at the head of the pack. So she was behind me. And I, I said, what, I said, I didn't like what was going on here, but there she was behind me. And I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to take her good. So I kept running. And this is, this is, this is what I taught her, right? Yeah. So I'm running ahead of her, and I'm running. And man, I, I thought for sure I run the race. By the ninth lap, I was, I, I was at least a lap ahead of her. I said, I couldn't believe it. I, was, I said, that's it. I got her. I got her. And so good enough, 
It's our tenth, the tenth time. The tenth lap is approaching. We're going on, and I'm running. I got her. I couldn't even see her. I said, for sure, I got her. And all of a sudden, I see Katrina take you off, and she passes me. She looks by, and she goes like this, and she... <laughs> and she looked at me after. I almost collapsed. She said, I'm t- I said, Dad, I just remembered what you told me when you were... I didn't take my own advice. It's not how well you start, but it's how you finish. And this principle is so important in our Christian walk. So important in our journey, because we're all in the journey. We're all in the race. The Bible says our walk is a walk, but it's also a race. We are in a race. This is our journey. And in our text, here we see, God gave Gideon a great victory over the Amalekites and the Midianites, where he defeated 135,000 soldiers. What a victory. With 300 men who never picked up a sword before in their lives. With 300 men who drank water a certain style, and that was their criteria, and that was the prerequisite for entering into God's army. How you drink water. 300 men who knew nothing about warfare. Oh, there's a sermon right there, isn't there? But friends, watch this now. Life lesson number one. You see, the most dangerous time for a leader is after the victory. The most dangerous time even for believers, believers, is after you've experienced some kind of victory, some kind of success. That is the most dangerous time. You know, interesting, in World War II, the British pilots... Uh, eventually, of course, they, they, they won the war. The Allies won the war. And uh, they, they were just amazing pilots, especially the British back in that day. But you know, history tells us that they made most of their errors and their mistakes that took place took place after they won a battle. After they won a battle, most of the errors took place with these pilots. This is historical fact. Why? Because they were, hey, the battle's over. We won. They were careless. They were overconfident. They didn't take precaution as they did before. Careless. Many times when we have a victory, our attitude, if we're not careful, can change. We can relax and become careless. But this is not what happened with Gideon. You see, in our text, Gideon could have said, it's over. 135,000 men. God has given us a great victory with 300 men. And he could have relaxed. They're on the run. The Amalekites are full of fear. And as I mentioned yesterday, God, divine, divine infusion, a divine change. Gideon started off being a man of fear. 
and he was hiding from the Midianites and now and now after God worked in him and did his work in him now Gideon's fear is now in the hearts of the Midianites now the Midianites are hiding now the Midianites are in fear before the Midianites were full of courage and self-confidence and now Gideon has courage and confidence in God and we see a divine reversal we see God had made a change Gideon could have relaxed however I won we won everything is fine but no he pursues after them shameless pursuit he's pursuing pursuing after them they're full of fear but he's gonna he's gonna finish his task there's still a few thousand men that need to be dealt with now please understand brothers and sisters when it comes to warfare in the Old Testament it was physical it was physical warfare was done physically you had to kill the enemy physically in the New Testament our, our warfare is spiritual we fight not against flesh and blood but principalities none but nonetheless it is still a battle it is still warfare and and back in the Old Testament when you were engaged in warfare you had to defeat the enemy physically and so Gideon saying all right, you're in, you're, 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 you're fleeing from me, you're running from me, but I'm, I'm not done yet. The job isn't over. There's still several thousand men that need to be dealt with. The enemy is still not taken down. And Gideon, with that mindset, all of a sudden faces all kinds of obstacles brothers and sisters life lesson number two you can be sure if you're hungry after God and you're dealing in spiritual warfare and you're, you're and you have God's mandate upon your life you can be sure you're going to experience a lot of obstacles and many times the obstacles come from within the ranks stay with me we're gonna go deeper this morning really deep this morning and so all of a sudden now he faces all kinds of obstacles and impediments and we're going to see this morning how he overcame them how he dealt with them and we notice verse number one impediment number one obstacle number one and let me just say that Gideon finished his task despite obstacle number one which is what criticism well that's a huge one the devil loves to use criticism as a sword to bring division and disharmony within the body of Christ and in this case within Israel criticism notice and the men of Ephraim said oh, hold on a second Gideon why have you not asked us why did you not come to us and ask us to come and fight with you how how dare you avoid us don't you know who we are we're the tribe of Ephraim how dare you not ask us to be part of this and they criticize him they were the largest tribe at that time and they always reminded people and others of their importance and they felt offended that Gideon wouldn't come and speak to them and ask them to be part of this but you see they had their own agenda didn't they they wanted a part of the booty without getting involved 
A lot of times, criticism has an agenda. Even the psalmist speaks of Ephraim's arrogance. In Psalm 78, verses 9 and 12, the Bible tells us, watch this now, speaks of, of Ephraim in 78. It says, And the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in the law for God is works, speaking about this particular context that we are in. The psalmist actually mentions Ephraim and what they did. That's right, Ephraim, Ephraim, full of pride and arrogance. And the point is, however, brothers and sisters, that the enemy wanted to bring division within the ranks and he used Ephraim as a tool and criticism that was stemmed out of pride and arrogance and you can be sure that the devil works overtime to sow discord and disunity especially within the within the church today over so many different issues and so many different situations truly we're in a battle and the Ephraims will rise up within the body of Christ to criticize and bring the church down to bring God's work down He'll use any kind of issue, social issues. Be amazed how many divisions have started over social issues, economic issues, political issues, pettiness, oh, non-issues, non-essentials. Ah, pastor, why did you color the walls blue? Like ridiculous things that mean nothing. Pettiness, current issues. Oh, the devil loves it current issues and what about medical issues what about COVID issues what about mask issues what about vaccine issues what about social distancing issues he'll try to bring discord in any way possible and I think the greatest attempt of the enemy to bring discord is over doctrinal issues I've just named you seven or eight of them and there's more Doctrinal issues is possibly the greatest one. God's word. It started in the Garden of Eden. Hey, Adam, Eve, did God really say what he said? Really? The devil tried to put doubt in Adam's heart about what God said, about God's word. That still exists today. A battle of God's word. Has God said? What does the word of God say? Was that not the problem in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Paul deals with all the divisions that took place in that church and there were people in the church that, that appreciated Paul's preaching, what he taught. Some appreciated Peter's teaching, what he taught. Some liked Apollos' teaching and there was division about teaching and dogma and doctrine. I am of Paul, I am of Cyphus, and I am of, of Apollos, but, but who's of Christ, Paul says. How, why would you do this? Division, division over doctrine, over doctrine. Yeah, yeah, doctrinal issues. I, I call that Phariseeism. There's a lot of Phariseeism in the church. They, the Pharisees who lift up doctrine more than they do God. They love to debate modern day Pharisees in the church. We have them today. Pharisees and Sadducees debating. That's why they're sad. You see? Just do 
debating and analyzing and pontificating and trying to dissect them. It's really not of the spirit, it's just of the flesh. Trying to prove how smart and how intelligent you are. Yeah, these modern day Pharisees who love to debate. Are you ready for this? Rather than update. What do I mean by that? They love to debate rather than update. In other words, what is God doing today? Rather than update. In other words, what is God saying about this? What is God doing about this? Where, where is God in all of this? They love to debate, analyze. They focus on the law. Oh, the letter of the law. It's all. If you don't worship on, on, on Saturday, you're going to hell. You eat, you eat meat, you're going to hell. And you know, all the, the, the laws and debating and philosophizing and analyzing. Debating rather than updating. Yeah, yeah, they love dogma rather than revelation. They focus on the physical rather than the spiritual. It's not about the spirit of the law, the law of the spirit. They have no interest in that. It's, it's the same voices that echoes throughout the centuries that exist today. Jesus! What do you say we should do with this adulterous woman? The law says stone her. But what do you say? The law says. Dogma says. We have modern day Pharisees in the church who love to debate and the devil uses Pharisees, he uses political issues, he uses doctrine, he uses whatever he can to bring discord and bring criticism for one purpose, to, to try to destroy the work of God. That's the goal, to destroy the work of God. And we see it. Today, I've seen these Pharisees, I've seen them start movements, and it's destroying and hurting the church today. But I want you to notice how Gideon handles these problems, these obstacles, these impediments. I'm going to give you two S's under the subject of criticism. Under criticism. I'm going to give you two S's. Ephraim is selfish, self-absorbed, but Gideon is selfless. How do you deal with criticism? Well, you've got to start with a selfless spirit because you can be offended. And I understand being offended. I get offended. But sometimes offense is pride turned inside out. Really? I'm is that what you said? Well, how dare you think of this of me? I, it's, it can be a form of pride. Well, it's turned inside out, but it could be pride when you're offended because your pride's been offended. That's why there's so much offense. It's not so much the person, and that person might be wrong, of course, but how you handle criticism really reflects a lot about your character. Oh, stay with me, please. I hope I haven't lost some of you, but we're going, we're going, we're going places. We're going places. Watch this now. I want you to see how Ephraim is selfish, 
But I want you to see that Gideon is selfless. In today's world, Gideon's answer doesn't make sense at all. But Gideon is demonstrating how to have victory over critics and also how to have victory over your own spirit and even your own insecurities. Your own spirit and your own insecurities. So Gideon responds in a way Watch this now, how to deal with your critics, but also how to deal with yourself and criticism and how to respond to that. You see, friends, Ephraim had an agenda, as I mentioned, but notice the response in verse 2 to 3, 2 to 3 of chapter 8. Look what he says. Look what he says. And I'm going to read it from this translation, another translation. What have I accomplished compared to you, Gideon says. This is his response after the Ephraimites criticized him. Look what he says. What have I done compared to you? Aren't even the leftover grapes of Ephraim's harvest better than the entire crop of my little clan of Abiezer? God gave you a victory over Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite army. What have I accomplished compared to you? And the Bible says in verse 3, the Ephraimites ceased in their anger. Wow. How you respond to criticism. Very important. But it was humility. Because Gideon could have said, How dare you say this about me? God called me. God told me. It's not my fault you didn't want to come. He never said that. Do you know that this story, this situation is also mentioned in Psalms? We have, we have Ephraim's arrogance mentioned in the book of Psalms. And also we have this response by Gideon mentioned in Psalm 83 verses 1 to 9. Look what it says. I, I, I did a bit of research. I couldn't believe that it's actually mentioned here. It says here in, in, in 83 verse 1, Keep not thou silent, O God. Hold thy peace. Be not still, O God. Verse 9, Do unto them as unto the Midianites in Caesarea and, and Jabin, in the brook of Kishon, who perished in Endor. Notice now verse 11, Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb or Zeba, all ye the princes of Zeba and Zalamuna. Here we see what God did back in Gideon's day. This battle was so powerful, so strong. It was amazing what God did, how God dealt with the enemy and that, that, that it was Ephraim that destroyed them. And it's mentioned. And Gideon is picking up on it. He says, what am I? Look what God did through your tribe. He's trying to bless them while he's being cursed. You see, what Gideon is doing is exactly what Jesus told us to do. Bless those who persecute you. Speak well of those who speak evil of you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't give constructive criticism. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you can't bring forth truthful issues but we're talking about the spirit of criticism we're talking about an attitude that's what we're talking about some of us have a very bad attitude and it comes out in how you respond in life in general Gideon responded to them the way Jesus would respond he could have said very easily, how dare you 
talk to me this way, but he didn't. He did exactly what it's mentioned in Proverbs 15.1 and Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs 51, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir it up. And so when someone yells at you, and it's hard, this is tough stuff, man, because the natural response is, is, is to, to, to fight back. But if you can respond with soft words, it's, I tell you, it's a feat. But it really is a reflection of your character, isn't it? Gideon's heart was soft and tender. He didn't retaliate. He didn't retaliate. He didn't retaliate. Notice Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs say, He that is slow, this is, this is, this is, this is, oh, this is heavy stuff right here. He that is slow to anger. In other words, what, what Solomon is saying, there's going to be an opportunity for you to be angry. There'll be a situation that you have an opportunity or you can be angry over some situation. So he that is slow to anger over whatever situation you are experiencing in is better than the mighty. And he that rule, here it is now, and we talked about facing criticism. Remember I talked about how you can deal with yourself. Here it is. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. So if you, if you are slow to anger, you're, you're better and stronger than someone who goes and captures an entire city wow Bible says in Nahum that God is slow to anger slow to anger that's something that is so important you see he didn't have time for pettiness here we go he had to finish the race I, I got to keep going forward. I, got, I, I have no time to focus on pettiness. This is a distraction for me. This is going to cause me to hinder my race. I, I got to finish, and if I deal with Ephraim the way the flesh wants me to deal with, and the devil wants me to deal, I won't be able to finish the race. I'm going to waste all of this energy. Do you know, friends, anger and all this, it's just a waste of energy and it slows you down and hinders you from crossing the finish line. I got no time for this, Gideon. He says, I, I, I've got a task that God's given me here and I've got to finish it. Run the race. The Greek word to run is the word trecha, which means continuous motion. You, you can't, be in continuous motion and deal with these issues and allow them to control your life. That's why the author says, if you're running this way, lay aside these weights that so easily besets us. You can't, you've heard me say this, I mean, you can't run a marathon race that's the, with excess weight. You can't do it. You can't. You're running a race, a marathon race, and you're five pounds, 10 pounds, 50 pounds overweight. You will not last one mile, two miles maybe. Maybe three if you're... You need to train. This is exactly what we're talking about here. Gideon has a task, and he knows in this race, this task, if I'm going to be... If I'm not going to succumb to criticism and succumb to these impediments, I won't finish my course. 
Remember, we're great starters, but we're not good finishers because we allow these weights that so easily besets us to do just that, to beset us. Who has cut you off, Paul said, Galatians. Who hath bewitched you, Paul said. You started so well, but... Gideon says, no, I, I got to finish despite criticism. Listen, friends, I don't know, some of you think, listen, if, if you're doing anything for God and you think you're not going to get criticized, you're not living in, in this world that, in a way that, that, that's, that's rational. It's, it's irrational to think that you're going to serve God, that you're going to do God's work, and everybody's going to love you, and you're tremendous, you're so beautiful, keep going, we love you. Are you kidding me? That might be a sign that God's not with you. <laughs> if that was the case, not one of the apostles would have been martyred. Gideon finished despite criticism. Number two. Gideon also finished the task despite verse number four of chapter eight. Look what happened. Here's a biggie. Here's a real, there's three huge principles I'm going to share with you. This is principle number two. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, but they were faint. They were exhausted. However, yet they had shameless pursuit. They still pursued. They still persevered. They still chased the enemy. They were exhausted. They'd been going for a long time. They fought thousands and thousands of men. They're hungry. They're tired. They're full of, they're exhausted. And now Gideon, you want me to, to follow the, they, and, and so now the enemies, they're fleeing, but there's still more. But Gideon, listen, we already killed 135,000. What's just a few more? I'm tired. Now, can I just park here for a minute? How many have said, excuse number two, um, yeah, okay, but you know what, Pastor, can we do it? I'm just tired. Uh, Look, I have no problem with that. We all get tired. Folks, can I say something? I don't care who you are, what you do, what you don't do. Because you're living in the flesh, you will always get tired. Just one bad night's sleep. So what do we do when we're in this pursuit? What do we do? Let's just all assume that we're in the kingdom of God and we're, 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 we're called of God and there's a task that God has given you, whatever it might be, and so you're dealing with criticism, but and now and now a situation comes up where God wants you to do something else, or there's something else. You need. It's not really over yet. The task isn't over yet. And so what what happens when something comes up? Um, you know what? I've done so much, but I'm just tired now. I'm not going to pursue this anymore. I'm going to take it easy. Now, I don't say that you can't rest. We need to rest. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about making excuses by using I'm tired to do what you're... You know you need to do, but you make an excuse to justify it so you won't do it. 
So you say, I'm tired. But really, really, are you tired? Well, then let me ask you something, sir. If you're so tired, why is it you're able to play golf at 5 o'clock in the morning? If you're so tired, why is it you had no problem getting up at 5 to drive to the Hamptons because you're on vacation? If you're so tired, why is it you had no problem going to the Blue Jays game? If you're so tired, why is it you have no problem going out for dinner since you're so tired? No, friends, it's not that you're tired because you go out to dinner while you're tired, don't you? Some of you play golf, but you're exhausted, but you still went to play golf. You've heard me say, you know, I used to play a lot of hockey and our practices were 5 o'clock in the morning outside in freezing cold weather. I was the first one there. Sometimes minus 20. I was there. Why? I'm tired. It's cold. Why? Because I want to be there. Why? Because I love hockey. And so, we are never really tired when it comes to the things that we love. Sorry, but it's the truth. So, we have an issue coming up. We're debating, we're discouraged. And so what do we do to justify not doing it? I'm tired. I, 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 I'm not sure I can do it. I'm so tired. Please don't understand, misunderstand me. I'm not saying you don't get tired. We all get tired. I'm tired of people using tired as an excuse. How many people use I'm tired as an excuse not to do it? Gideon was exhausted, hungry, faint, but he pursued the enemy. My goodness, this is good stuff. He pursued despite his fatigue. I don't know if you've noticed, my friends, but the world is run by tired people, by the way. The church is run by tired pastors and people. Did you know that? I don't know any pastor that doesn't get tired. Ah, my friends, but here's the point. Fatigue can make cowards out of all of us if we're not careful. Fatigue can make cowards out of all of us if we're not careful, and especially if God's not in it. But, and when I say cowards, I mean you just don't want to pursue anymore. And you use all kinds of excuses. Out of all of us. Listen. For some of us super spirituals who think that wow, it's not spiritual to get tired, let me remind you in John chapter 4 verse 6, Jesus has been ministering for a long time and he ends up going to Samaria and the Bible says and he was tired and he sat on the well resting waiting for the woman to come. If Jesus got tired, you can be sure you're going to get tired. Being wearied from his journey. Listen, we're in a journey. It's a long, listen folks, this journey, this race that we are in, it's not a sprint. 
I keep telling you this because if you got a sprint mentality you're going to give up very easily any farmer in the house? is there a farmer here? no? are there any fishermen in the house? I got some fishermen here? who's a fisherman? I don't see any fishermen here, you got the Israel? oh here's a fisherman! so brother let me ask you something, let's go fishing okay tomorrow? alright let's go fishing oh we're all excited we're going fishing! hey yay 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 so we go fishing and we caught nothing was that a fruitful day or not such a fruitful day? not fruitful, you didn't catch any fish, correct? very simple alright any farmers here? alright let's pretend we're farmers okay Mr. Farmer let's, let's farm okay what do we do? you got some seeds? okay let's go and plant some seeds right now good plant seeds good we just planted seeds we're waiting and uh, now hold, hold on a second and now you ask him wait a minute Is the, did you get any fruit yet? So what are you talking about? it takes months for the harvest to come what are you, you lost your mind? you see brothers and sisters a fisherman if he doesn't catch fish that day has had a bad day but a farmer has a different perspective it takes months and months you see when you're in a marathon race it takes hours to cross the line you can't run a marathon race like a fisherman you gotta run a marathon race like a farmer you gotta think long term if you're thinking short term you're gonna get exhausted and you're gonna burn out within 20 minutes but a farmer has learned, obviously he's got to wait he's got to nurture the soil, nurture the ground it takes time, there's some weeds you got to deal with it, you know, the rain's got to come, it doesn't come overnight but a fisherman! Oh, catch no fish, you don't care what it, a fisherman is now and a farmer is later are you with me? the fisherman perspective is the now and the farmer's perspective is not now but later what's your perspective? tired, I'm tired, I'm tired I was watching the news the other day with my wife and uh, I understood that Andrea Haworth lost of course the election but now she wants to become mayor of, of Hamilton no problem, fine, God bless her you know. but they asked her, Andrea, well, what was the problem? Well, how did, why did you lose the elections the way you did? you can check it up yourself she says, well you know, it was COVID time and, and uh, we were just tired, all of us and we, didn't, we weren't strong enough, we were just tired well, I, I, last time I checked, I think the liberals were also during COVID, wasn't it? weren't the NDP de dealing with this during COVID as well? is it just you? sometimes when we say we're tired, we, we act as if we're the only ones that are going through this experience I'm tired, look look what I've done, I'm, I'm so tired it doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done if we're not careful, we can use being tired as an excuse to justify what we need to do, but we're not doing that's not what Gideon did he wasn't a coward, he continued to persevere and so how did Gideon succeed despite all these obstacles of criticism and fatigue? I'm going to give you a couple of V's 
I'm going to give you a couple of V's. I'm going to break this down. Notice, number one, Gideon was able to pursue because he heard a voice or had a voice in the past. In other words, this voice, God called him. God spoke to him. This also gave him spiritual energy to pursue. Yes, there were natural issues like dealing with criticism and dealing with fatigue, but let's go a little deeper. Let's get into the spirit realm. God spoke to him in, in, in Judges chapter 6 verse 14 the Bible says that the Lord turned to him and said go in in yours and now I have I not sent thee go in the might of yours and of Israel have I not sent you I'm calling you Gideon you go mighty man of valor my hand is upon you let me tell you something there's nothing more powerful nothing that brings more conviction and more strength within you than knowing that God has called you to do something if you're not sure God's called you, man, you can waver till, till eternity. Up and down, up and down. Gideon heard the voice of God. God spoke to him. God spoke to him. That gave him purpose. That gave him a raison d'etre. A purpose, a purpose. He knew, he knew. Despite fatigue, despite criticism, he heard God's voice. Wow! I'm not saying you're going to hear God's voice audibly, but you can know that you know that you know that God's called you to do something. Listen, folks, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to tell you straight up. Here we are, the month of June, 2022, correct? Good. Do you know that I'm here right now preaching only because I knew that God has called me? What I mean by that is, there are times in my life I wanted to pack up and go home. There are times in my life I wanted to throw in the towel. Big time. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. By the way, men, marry a good wife because she will put you straight when you're depressed. That's just for free, it's okay. Uh, so if I didn't believe God called me, I wouldn't even come to this church. There's something about knowing that God's called you that just sets everything apart in your life. That's where you get shameless persistence. I don't care if you criticize me. I don't care if I'm exhausted. I gotta, I gotta keep going. God's, God spoke to me, man. God's called me to do this. Wow, that's powerful. Despite all these things. That's why Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. What is it you want, Lord? I'm here. Speak. Give me the direction. I Speak, Lord. Speak. Then number two, my next V. Gideon had a past experience. He had a victory in the past to encourage him in the present. And sometimes God will give you a memory or God will allow you to remember something he did in your past a past victory that will propel you into the present one in other words because of what God did in your life yesterday he can do today you think God has stopped because God helped you 15 years ago that doesn't mean he stopped help you today what he did yesterday he can do today what he did for Daniel he can do for you what he did for Peter he can do for you what he did for you in, in the year 1998 he can still do for you today 
And what was that victory? What did Gideon remember? What did God do in Gideon's life in the past that propelled him into the present, that helped him in the present? And we see what? I want you to notice in chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, we find out what God did in Gideon's life that propelled him to keep going and keep pursuing the enemy. Notice what it says. And they stood every man in the place round about the camp, and all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And these 300 men blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against the fellow, even throughout all of the host. And the host fled to, to, to Beth Shittah, and Zarath, and the border of Edomlah. So he experienced a major victory with 300 men, and now he's thinking about it. Wow! God did that before? Look what he did, that miracle. He's called me. That must mean he's going to do another one so I can finish the task. This is very... Oh, go, folks, I want to tell you how important this is. It's so important. A past memory to encourage you. In other words, if God did it, he'll do it again. He is what? The immutable God. I took a course in Bible college called The Doctrine of God. And we studied his characteristics and who he is, his attributes, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his immutability, which means his unchanging nature. He's the same God yesterday, today, forever. If he helped me then, he can help me now. He is my Ebenezer, 1 Samuel 7, I believe. Thus far, the Lord has helped me and will help me again. My God. Do you know him as your immutable God? He's the immutable God. He won't abandon you. If he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. If he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. So what am I going to do? Life lesson number three. You and I need to polish our monuments. Get out the silver polish. Get a rag. Get out that victory, that trophy God gave you and begin to polish it because it's getting dark and black and you got to polish it so you can remember what took place in 1993. And as you remember what he did for you, that's going to strengthen you to go forward, my friend. Again, when I've been downcast and discouraged, I remembered my past. That's why you hear me bring... Why do I bring illustrations? Not only for your benefit, but it also encourages me when I remember what God did in my life. How many times would I have packed it up if it wasn't for God and what He did in my life and what He does in your life? Polish your monuments. Is that not why in Joshua chapter 4, he told Joshua, God said to Joshua, when you cross the riverbank, I want you, I want you to build an altar. Take these stones and build an altar. And when your children come by and they see this altar, they see the trophy, you're gonna, they're going to ask you, Daddy, Mommy, what is this altar? What is this trophy? I don't understand what it is. And you'll be able to tell them, I'll tell you what it is. God gave us victory over the Canaanites and he wanted us to build this altar so we would never forget what God done for us. Too many of us have lost sight of that altar and that trophy. You've put it up on some shelf and it's become dark and black and you, 
You can't even see it anymore. You forgot. You forgot. You forgot. He wants to encourage them from the past to propel us into the present. That's why David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that. And forget not all of those trophies he's given you. Forget not all of the benefits. That's why you've heard me say one of my favorite scriptures, almost, almost lately, almost Sunday after Sunday, Psalm 124. It's slowly becoming one of my favorite psalms. If it hadn't been for the Lord, I would have been swallowed up. Stop forgetting. Why did Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me? All backsliding begins with forgetfulness. You see, the Lord who helped Gideon in the past defeating 135,000 men can do it now. And so Gideon pursued because he heard a voice from the past and he, re, he recalls. George, please put on the screen Lamentations chapter 3. One of my favorite scriptures. I, you know what? The whole Bible is my favorite scripture. I got only, but Lamentations chapter 3. Look at this beauty. You want something beautiful? And I said, Lord, the Amalekites are killing me. Lord, my strength is gone. The Midianites have stab me I'm perishing Lord I'm dying please remembering my affliction my misery the wormwood and my gall my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me I remember all my pain and I see I almost forgot about you Lord I my pain caused me so much doubt and grief I all I lost sight of who you are Lord how many people have lost sight who God is through their pain and their their pride that's turned inside out because sometimes that, that, that's what depression is it's pride turned inside out have they lost sight this I recall he said I recall to my memory to my mind therefore now I got hope I can continue to run yes sir I, I almost fell but I'm remembering what you did in the past uh, and I can keep going because if God be with me who can be against me I don't care about the Midianites uh, I don't care about the Amalekites uh, what can they really do to me I don't care if you like me if you don't like me you criticize me I don't care if I'm tired I'm, by the way I didn't sleep well last night by the way but I, I'm going to keep running I'm gonna keep going I'm not even out of breath number three then Gideon finished his task a voice a victory number three because he had a vision Oh my. A vision that propelled them into the future. So what I got? I got a voice from the past calling me. I, I've got this victory that took place in my past that helps me to go forward. I can deal with this problem. And now, I got to remember, he gave me, I got a vision. God gave me that. There's a vision I got. I, a vision, and it hasn't come yet of my future what does the Bible say about someone who's got no vision Proverbs 29 verse 18 I believe it is my people what perish 
By the way, does anybody know what perish means? It, a symbolism of an unwound turban. Now, have you ever seen uh, people with turbans? Have you ever seen how tight the turban is? Very neat and man, it's like wow, no loose ends. Parish has a principle of a turban that's loose. I know it sounds strange to you right now, but what it's applying is that if you have a vision, your turban will be tight. In other words, let me bring it to the vernacular. If you got a vision. You won't allow laziness or anger or criticism or fatigue stop you from doing what God wants you to do. Can I be straight with you? That's what it means. If you got no vision, you've got no purpose. You got no vision, you got no reason to get out of bed. That's why some of you can't get out of bed properly. You got no vision. My poor mom, she doesn't want to get out of bed. She's got no purpose in her life anymore, she tells me. I want to die. You know how, dis- how tough that is to hear your own mother say that? I want to die. Why, Mom? What's the matter, Mom? Don't you? Do you know? What do I have to live for? But you've got grandkids. But she, she, her pain and her loneliness blinds her from the realities of what's important and what can happen. You got no vision, you don't want to get out of bed. How many people can't get out of bed? Not because they're not healthy, not because they're not strong, they got no vision. No joie de vivre, no, no extra step in their, or kick in their step, it's just, oh, another day, nine to five, Another this, another that. No vision, no passion. You'd be amazed how many people in the church have no vision. Well, hold on, I'm not a pastor. Who cares? I know some people who are not pastors have got more vision than pastors. You think because you're a pastor, you're a visionary? Are you kidding me? Because you're a leader, you're a visionary? No! You can be a great visionary sitting in that pew, my friend. Big time. The world is won, not by pastors, but those who sit in the pew. That's how the world is won to Christ. Visionaries. God gave him a vision and it hasn't come to pass yet oh it looked like it did he defeated 135 but it wasn't over yet some of you are giving up too soon it's not over yet but you're acting like it is This vision propelled him to the future. Gideon knew he had to finish the task. If not, now watch this. Here, here, here's something very deep here. If not, there would be no peace, but also, if he didn't deal with the rest of these men that fled, a few thousand, they would come back and haunt Israel. 
Do you remember what God told Moses to tell the Israelites? Seems kind of harsh. Does anybody, any, do I have a scholar in the house? What did God tell Moses to tell the Israelites to do once they get into Canaan? To destroy what? To destroy the enemies of the land. As you go into the land, each tribe had to destroy. Remember, spiritual warfare is done physically. Remember that? You had to kill the enemy. I know it sounds harsh and it's some of you, wait a minute, where is it? We're not going to debate that this morning. Put away the dogma. And what does the Bible say? God told them, go and destroy the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites. Is that not true? And inevitably, what happened? They didn't obey. And so what happened? Because they may have killed a few, but what happened ultimately, brothers and sisters? Because they disobeyed and they didn't do the task completely, those that remained came back and destroyed them. Do you understand what I'm talking about? There's no, this partial obedience is not obedience. We see Gideon saying, yeah, yeah, I killed quite a few here, but you know what? There's still a few more to go. And I'm not going to stop. Because I know if I stop, they're going to come back and get us. Did you hear me? Some of you are doing just that. You've got so far, you've done okay, but the job isn't finished yet. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. And so Gideon wanted to finish despite all these obstacles. Even though the enemy watches, folks, this is deeper. They're on the run. It looks like they're, they're, they're running away from you, Gideon. You don't have to, they're, they're done. They're finished. Not going to come back. Are you kidding? They're, they're scared of you, Gideon. But he didn't say that. He didn't do that. And in chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, I want you to notice Gideon. Here comes within the tribe. The critics are now rising again. Remember, remember, friends, the enemy will constantly try to dissuade you. Paul said, I wanted to visit the Thessalonians, but they hindered me. There was a hindrance. Satan hindered me. This, I tell you, friends, every time you got a victory, you can be sure the enemy wants to stop you somehow. And what does he use again? The ranks. The ranks. His own tribe or the tribes. What did they say here? And he said unto the men of Sukkoth, Give me, I pray thee, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. Okay, keep going. Verse 6. And the prince of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zamu now in thy hand that we should... You want us to give you bread? You haven't even defeated the enemy. Who do you think you are, Gideon? We're not going to waste our bread on you. This is his own... Not, there wasn't, it's part of the tribes of Israel. They didn't want to help Gideon at all. And they made fun of him, actually. They mocked him. Are they defeated? Are they in your hands right now, Gideon? So why should I help you? If you lose the battle, they will come back and destroy you. So I'm not going to do it. Verses 7 and 9. And what does Gideon say? Okay. When we succeed, not if, when God delivers us, I'm going to come back and deal with you. And, I, and you're going to enter into the classroom of God and it's going to be classroom 101 and, and I, I, you're going to deal with it and it's going to be harsh. 
Listen, folks, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. I know it's not popular preaching. I know there's people that tune me out when I talk about these things. I know that. I get it on the emails. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I even get phone calls. But I'll tell you something. If you think that God is just going to let you do whatever you want and get it. No, 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 friends. He chastens. He will chasten you. He will even scourge you. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews. Scourge you if need be. I'm sorry. It's the truth. I'm not going to candy coat words. and It's popular today. All these big churches that would, wouldn't dare talk about this stuff. Won't mention repentance. Won't mention chastening. Won't mention trials. Won't mention nothing. Making God like some kind of cosmic bellhop. God's no cosmic bellhop and he's no bottle or no genie in a bottle either. He is God. He's a consuming fire. And I gotta fear him and have reverence over my God. And I gotta honor him and I gotta respect him and I need to obey him. And that's what love does. This is not a task. When you love God, you want to obey him. When you love God, you want to serve him. I'm going to deal with you, Gideon says, and it's exactly what happened. Session is open. And so Gideon is dealing with these obstacles. Ah, but there's one last one. We're going to close with this one. There's one huge one. It looked like, it, could it get any worse? He deals with criticism within his own family. That's tough. He deals with, with fatigue. Looks like it's getting tougher. Exhaustion. And now he deals with the third temptation, which I think is possibly the toughest one. And every leader will understand what I'm talking about. Every leader will understand this, perhaps more than those that are not leaders. But nonetheless, this applies to human nature. So in other words, what I'm going to share now applies to all of us. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Obstacle of temptation. Notice verse 22 and 23. What happens? Look what happened here. And the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Wow, Gideon! Look at the victory you got. Wow. Look at the look what you did. Can't believe the odds were all against you. So Gideon, will you please rule over us? Yeah, yeah, you and your grandkids, your children, you you delivered us from the hand of the mighty Midianites. Be our king, Gideon. Be our king. You're so great. You're so wonderful. And what does Gideon say? And Gideon said to them, I will not. The Hebrew is very emphatic. Very emphatic. It's emphatically saying, no, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. For the Lord shall rule over you. You see, at this time, God was is a theocracy. There was no democracy. There was, there was no king. That came later on. Israel wanted to be like other nations. But at this time, there was a theocracy. And Gideon, this is so great, because Gideon had the chance to be Israel's first king. He turned it down. Let me ask you, sir. Somebody came up to you and promoted you and said to you, Hey, Gloria, you're so wonderful. Man, you're so powerful. Would you like to be the president of our company? Oh, Dina, you know, I've seen how you work. You're pretty good, man, how you dealt with those issues. Would you like to be the president of our company? <laughs> i got to get a guy because I think, uh, I think I'm... Tony! Tony. I saw how you dealt with that issue, how you dealt with those people. 
you gave good advice. Man, I'll tell you, boy, our government needs some. Would you like to be the Prime Minister of Canada? <laughs> That's how we do things in our culture. You notice that? Our, our culture, we see people that do very well and all of my, we, we deify them. We deify them. We deify people every day. That's what we do. We deify and appeals to our flesh. Do, do you know what appeals? Nothing appeals to the flesh more than when someone wants to put you in the highest level of, of recognition. We love to be recognized, don't we? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We certainly, your flesh loves to be recognized. And that's why I'm saying to you this could be the greatest, because that's the worst thing that you can allow in your life, and that is to have pride be your suit and your dress. Look at me, I'm the king. I'm the, I'm the chair. I'm the president. I'm the. It appeals to all of us. It appears and appeals to all of us in our humanity. Most people fall. Most people fall. Rule over us. They tried to do that with Jesus. Do you remember that? Jesus performing miracles. Jesus, come and rule over us. Be our king. Can you imagine what a moment that was for Gideon to be king? He started out hiding in a wine press. He was a zero from the eyes of men. He was the smallest, he said, in the tribes of Manasseh. Manasseh was a nothing tribe. And his came from a family that was the smallest in all the tribes of Manasseh. You don't think that that would cause him to want to be king? He came from nothing. The special man, Gideon. It seemed that way, didn't it? You don't want to miss my last message. But for now, we stop right here. Gideon said, no. I'm not going to rule over you. I'm not going to do it. He knew that it was not him, it was God. It was God who delivered them. And God didn't want to share his glory with anyone. Life lesson number four. Your character will always be tested in victory. 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 Oh, wow, Pastor. Oh, wow, John. What did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Wasn't that, wasn't that great? Yeah. This is why Hezekiah fell. We very rarely talk about the falling of Hezekiah. We talk about other kings. We don't mention much about Hezekiah. Do you know Hezekiah fell? You know how he fell when God healed him and God blessed him? You know, what did he do? What did he do? He invited the Babylonians to come and look at the treasures of, 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 of Judah and the temple and the palace. What? He wanted to show off. Hey guys, come look, 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 look what I've established here. Look what I did here. Pride is an ugly thing. It's ugly. Oh, it's ugly. It's the ugliest. It's the mother of all sins. Come and see what I. Come and look at what I did. And look what I. And 
I it's all about I me, myself and I hell is filled and the song of hell the national anthem of hell when they sing if they do I did it my way (laughs) that's just for free I did it my way I did it my my way I that's why Uzziah fell that's why King Asa fell that's why they all fell and so friends I gotta ask you what is it that God wants you to finish this morning Jesus finished his task on the cross despite Peter the ranks Peter his own telling him not to go to the cross Paul said I fought the good fight of faith and he encouraged Timothy Timothy 1.18 to do the same thing oh friends what is it in your life that you need to finish does not God say in Jeremiah 29 I know the thoughts I have before you and towards you that I've got a plan for you and to give you an expected end to bless you with this I've got a vision for you I've got a plan for you read it for yourself Jeremiah 29 11-13 I know some of you are telling others to quit I know that you hear their voices maybe you're battling sickness depression and you want to throw in the towel maybe it's your job and you can't stand it but God hasn't opened up another door yet and you can't stand it and you want to throw in the towel you see friends you need to finish the task you need to finish the task and you can't stop now it's time for the persistent widows to rise it's time for the persistent widows to rise it's time for the persistent widows to rise it's time for the shameless to keep pursuing it's time for shameless pursuit it's time for shameless persistence shameless persistence shameless persistence the task isn't over the task isn't over it was the year 1759 September the 13th the French were battling the English on the plains of Abraham in Quebec oh and the battle was fierce and the French had the victory for sure the English fled like the Amalekites they were scared they went on top of the mountain hiding fear and the French were gloating in their victory and then the French eventually went to another peak and there they had a celebration while the English had their tails between their legs the victory was won General Montcalm was full of joy and General Wolfe of the English was licking his wounds and the French were partying true story check it for yourselves they're having parties and feasts and celebration in fact Canada would have been French you would be all speaking French this morning that's right if it wasn't for the genius of General Wolfe General Wolfe says it's not over yet and while the French were celebrating and rioting and having all kinds of fun because they thought they won the war here come the English at night while they were drunk the French they climbed up this mountain and there they saw the French celebrating but most of them were drunk in a stupor they had no faculties left to do any kind of fighting and the English came and overtook just a few of them left overtook 
the entire army. Montcalm didn't do what Gideon did. There's still some English you could have dealt with, but no. Oh, friends, it's not over yet. Not time to stop now. Not time. The sad truth is how many people have quit just before the victory has come? How many? And I know some of you are in a difficult marriage today. I know some of you think it's better with somebody else. I know, I can hear you. If I only married this person, if I only... Some of you are swimming upstream against the current. Your friends are telling you to stop, to quit, to leave. And some of you are going through exactly what Gideon went through. And some of you are going through something so precise. Some of you are in a battle against the Midianites and the Amalekites. And you've had some kind of success. You have some kind of victory. You've been doing okay, but you haven't finished the task. I know you're tired. You're exhausted. You've got to go through it. You're exhausted. You're hungry. You're exhausted. You're still in some kind of pain but there's still something left to do and you got some decisions to make but you're making excuses you're succumbing to criticism you're succumbing to fatigue and some you've been lifted and promoted and you're succumbing to that but there's still thousands that you haven't dealt with and you think the battle's over and you think the job is done but it's not it's not it's not You're not finished yet. God isn't finished yet. God hasn't brought you to that so you can quit. Oh, my friends, keep on keeping on. Keep fighting the fight of faith. Make sure you keep the main thing, the main thing. Gotta close. One of the most powerful stories that Jesus uses is found in Luke chapter 11, the friend at midnight. We all know the story. Chapter 11, verse 5, I believe it is. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight. Midnight is a time of pain, twilight, difficulty. Midnight, trials. And say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in a journey, and he's come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. And my children are in bed with me. I'm not going to get up for you. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he's his friend. This is his friend. Yet, because of shameless persistence, because of shameless pursuit, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Wow. Wow. That was his friend. You figure he'd get up because he's his friend. And what did he get up because his friend? He got up because it was bothering him. <laughs> Shameless pursuit. I told you I almost quit ministry. I almost didn't start ministry. And I promise you with this I close. 
I almost didn't start ministry. I went to Bible college for three years. You all know my story, most of you. I never read a book in my life. Never. In high school. <laughs> don't let me go there. I don't know how I graduated. I guess I had good friends. Don't, don't, that, that, yeah, you can put two and two together. But I couldn't do that in Bible college. <laughs> I had to study. <laughs> you know, I had to do exams. I had to work. But I never read a book. I never studied. Never did an essay in my life. And, I'm, and I've now graduated from high school. Never did an essay. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No, I don't think you do. And now I'm facing professors in Bible college. I've got eight courses my first semester. I've got eight book reports, eight essays. I've got eight midterms I've got to study for. I've got eight quizzes, eight this, eight that. I, I almost lost my mind my first week or two in Bible. I didn't, even, I, I didn't even start doing anything. I was in the prayer room for two weeks. I didn't start doing anything. For two weeks, I was in the prayer room crying out to God. I said, God, I can't do this. I can't even, what? I didn't know what to expect. I was so green. God bless my mom. I called her up one day. I told her, Mom, I'm quitting. I can't do this. So my mother who wasn't saved yet, was on the verge, but wasn't saved yet. My mom. She said, Daniel, what do you mean? I said, no, mom, I can't, I can't study. I can't, I can't. My eyes, I can't read. I, 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 I just, I don't know how, what, I, I never wrote it. I don't know how to do an essay. I don't know what to do. I said, Dina, you, God has brought you there, she said to me. You can't stop now. You've got to try. I said, okay, Mom, I'm going to try. <sighs> Back into the prayer room, and I attempted my first essay. It was horrific. I didn't know how to start. I had all these books in front of me. I tried to remember some things, and I put down a few quotes, and I tried to say a few things. I thought it was the, the worst. I, I, it was just horrible. I submitted my so-called essay, and I got back my, my essay. I was expecting a D, or, le or at least maybe... A C, possibly, if God's grace was on my life. I got back a B plus. What the B plus? What's that? I've never seen a B plus in my life. I've seen many F's and some D's. I certainly haven't seen a B plus. I got so encouraged. A memory from the past. A memory. I got so encouraged. I said, "Oh God, I remember you." That it propelled me to. And so once I got it, then oh my. Talk about study. I studied, and I studied, and I studied, I studied. I studied so much I had to get glasses because I strained my eyes back in the day. Not reading glasses because I'm blinded, but glasses I couldn't see because my eyes were strained from studying. Don't give up, do you know what my mom said? And when I graduated in 19... 84. My parents were there at my graduation. There's my mom and my dad. And then they attempt to give the certificates to the students 
as they graduated and they mentioned my name. And now, graduating, Dino Andriatis, are you ready? With honors. What? Me? Honors? What did Gideon say? Me, Lord? I'm the least in the tribes of Manasseh? Me? Me? Yeah, yeah, you. You and you and you and you. That's right. Winston Churchill once said, Never, 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 never. Five times. Give up. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, please. Is there anybody in Bible college this morning that wants to give up? Is there anybody? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anybody this morning who has a vision, but you're going through criticism and fatigue? Is there anybody in this room or on Facebook or YouTube That's being ridiculed for following your dream, your vision. Is there anybody in this house that's on the verge of wanting to give up, but somehow deep inside of you, you know that God's called you. But the enemy is sowing seeds of discord and disharmony doubt oh my friend it's time for shameless persistence oh my friend it's time for shameless pursuit because it's not over yet well, I know the devil's telling you it's over but it's not over till he says it's over for he that's begun a good work and you shall complete it Till the day of Jesus we're gonna sing and I'm gonna pray with you and God I look to you I won't be overwhelmed give me vision to see things like you
hear me? There we go. I'm not going to invite you forward this morning. I'm addressing those that are standing in the pew. And where you're standing in the pew will be your altar, not the front. Every head bowed for a moment. How many would say, Pastor, yup, 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 yup. I'm tired. I'm really tired. You know, folks, I'm tired too. I'm re- I, actually, I'm exhausted right now. I really am. Some of you are exhausted. And your visions become blurred. Sometimes when you're tired, you don't think straight, you don't see straight. And you feel like giving up. If that's you, nobody looking. Eh? This is, I'm not inviting you forward. This is you and God. Nobody here, just you and God. That's all. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to acknowledge, yes, pastor, this is where I'm at and I need prayer. Raise your hand. Who are you? Thank you. All kinds of hands raised. Number two. Number two. You're succumbing to peer pressure, criticism. You're in this task, but some people don't like it. Some people are complaining about you. Some people have said nasty things as well. And it's discouraged you. It's discouraged you from going on. Maybe what they said wasn't really nasty or critical, but you took it wrong and you've been offended. You've been offended. Every head bowed, please. And because you've been offended, it's hindered your the task. It's impeded your, your race. It's hindered you from running. Who am I speaking to this morning? Every head bowed, just raise your hand. I'm going to be praying for you. Raise your hand. Say, Lord, that's me. I want to get back in the race. That's me. Put your hands up real high. Not that I can see it. But you're just, you're, you're putting it high before the Lord. You're, you're declaring it before God. Thank you. Thank you. Number three. Some of you, paradoxically, in fact, the very opposite antithesis of what I'm talking about for the other two, have had great success. Some of you, on Facebook, YouTube, I'm speaking to you as well, have actually been honored in some things. But what you don't realize is that that success has got to you and it's actually impeding you from finishing what God really wants you to do. But you don't see it yet because you are relishing that moment and that 15 minutes of fame and, and, and you don't see properly. And you're not finishing the task because you're gloating and wallowing and reveling in, in your success. But it's a ploy from the enemy to keep you from running and finishing the task. The devil will use failure and success to bring you down. Who am I speaking to? You're being honored. You're being honored even by your fellow man. And you're excited about it and it's looking good. But, but you know deep down inside, you've got to be careful because this can really hinder me. Because it's not about me, it's about God. And if you're not careful, your pride will destroy you. Who am I speaking to? 
If there's somebody in this room or somebody on Facebook, yeah, you're on Facebook, I want you to raise your hand before God. Obviously, nobody can see you on Facebook, but you're acknowledging it before God. You're taking a stand. Lord, this is me. I need to turn around from this. Who am I speaking to? Anybody in this room? I see a few hands. Lastly, how many of you are running the race? And like the Ephesians, not the Ephraimites, the Ephesians, you got a little relaxed and you're, you're slowing down. You started off very hot, you started off with fire. But like the Laodiceans, you've become lukewarm. Oh yeah, there's fire burning, but that fire is waning and it's, it's not hot anymore. It's become tepid. The waters are tepid. It's tepid waters. And you're saying, Lord, I, I, I want to get back. I want that fire once again. I, I need it, Lord. I, insipid waters surround me. I need, I need the fire again. Fire to run this race to the end. I haven't finished dealing with the Midianites, Lord. I haven't finished dealing with the Amalekites. There's things that you're asking me to do and, and calling me to do. And, but I, I'm discouraged and I'm downcast. And I, I, I need your fire. I need, I need you to touch my heart. I need you to... If that's you, I want you to put your hand up. Thank you. I'm going to pray now for all of us this morning. Those on Facebook, YouTube those that raise their hands in this church some of you raise your hand twice for two different reasons that's fine that's good remember it's not the raising of your hand it's not some magic wand being waved in front of you that's not if you've raised your hand with absolute desperation then you will see results if you just raised your hand just because you feel touched in this moment that might be good but that won't that, it won't go far because by tomorrow you'll be running half-heartedly once again you must you must really want God to touch your life because some of you have heard the voice some of you've had a victory some of you have a vision But you're not running like you used to it's time for shameless persistence to rise up again it's time for the dry bones to rise up again father in the name of Jesus Christ we sang earlier Lord and it hit a chord in my heart you have no rivals you have no equals 
Lord, forgive me, forgive us of the rivals we've allowed to enter into our lives. Father, I pray for everyone in this room who has raised their hearts and hands before you. Those who are tired and have allowed their fatigue to stop them from running. Those who've been criticized and been offended, but they, they stopped from running. Those who've been exalted and lifted up and inadvertently they've stopped running. I pray for all of them, for all of us. Help us, Lord, to keep running this race. Help us to be like that man at midnight, that friend that kept knocking on that door. Kept knocking even though his friend wouldn't get up. He wouldn't get up, but he kept knocking. He wouldn't get up, but he kept knocking. He wouldn't get up, but he kept knocking. Help us to keep knocking, Lord. Here am I, Lord. Send me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Ignite in me, Lord. Let that vision rise up, Lord. Let that passion come again, Lord. Let that hunger come, Lord. Let that fire come, Lord. My God. It's not over yet. My friend, it's not over yet. every person before you Lord myself included give us shameless pursuit shameless persistence shameless passion let revival come Lord see your glory that people would bow before a living God that you would be exalted Lord as you were when Gideon destroyed all those Amalekites and Midianites and they realized that there's a greater God than their God because we got an awesome God and we give you praise Lord, you sit on the throne. There's none like you, O oh God. You are great. And you are awesome, O oh Lord. 